Listener Production. Welcome to our A Life of Greatness summer series. We are taking a look back on some of our favourite and most memorable interviews. The chat that you're going to hear today is with my very dear friend, Andy Lee. As some of you may know, I worked on the Hamish and Andy podcast for four years as their executive producer, and this is a conversation from that time. The best thing about interviewing people that you're friends with is the level of openness that they share with you, which is just not something that you always get in interviews. So Andy was so beautiful. He opens up about his success, his career, and, you know, a lot of intimate details from his personal life. I hope you enjoy his intimacy and vulnerability. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Our brand new series of A Life of Greatness will be back on Feb 6th. Please enjoy this very special episode of A Life of Greatness with Andy Lee. There are places in the human experience where ordinary language falls short, but where comedy can find a way in. Andy Lee, together with Hamish Blake, have become one of the greatest comedy duos in Australian history. Working closely with Andy, I have seen his beauty, kindness and grace firsthand. Andy says, everything in life will work out if you stay positive and focus on the things that make you happy. What follows is a conversation about the struggles of being in the public eye, the dark days of his mum's illness, and how important it is to treat every person, no matter who they are, equally. I don't like high rise. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not like I'm, like, against the man. Yeah. Let's bring him down. It's more just... Again, there's people in really powerful positions that I've met along the way that share the same values mm. and I respect them so much and the way they lead and you take a lot from that. But anyone that's going to use their power as an extra means to get what they want, I have a visceral reaction mm. to that. So I'm very comfortable treating them um, just the same as anyone else. I'm Sarah Grimberg, and this is A Life of Greatness. Working as a podcast and radio producer, I have been fortunate enough to cross paths with many intriguing people who have had a profound impact on me. In this series, I share stories and experiences from the people who have brought inspiration to my life, and hopefully yours too. Andy Lee is an entertainer and author of the children's series Do Not Open This Book. In this episode, you'll understand why I look at Andy as one of my greatest mentors for kindness and absolute professionalism. Andy, you grew up in Melbourne, Australia. Yes. And you're one of three. Mm. Growing up in the Lee family, what was that like? What was it like as a child? Um, it was great. Yeah, we all got along. Um, mum and dad are both primary school teachers, so uh, there was a point where mum and dad were teaching at the same schools all three of us are going to. Really? So we could all get in the family van. It was a high ace camper van that we'd spend all our um, uh, holidays in, and we'd all go together to school. Oh my god, that's <laughs> unbelievable! It was pretty. So and then go home at the same time. So um, I think the advantage of having parents that were primary school teachers is certainly not money. You don't. Uh, Yes, that's true, that is true. Aren't getting paid uh, probably what they deserve. But um, what it did do, though, was holidays. I mean, we had the exact holiday sync up for them. So whatever it is off, how many weeks off a year, um, you get to spend that time with your mum and dad the entire way through and and also after school. So as far as parents, they were around a lot and and we kind of benefited from that. 
being the middle child, how was that? You're very close to your brother and sister, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, very close. Uh, yeah, we, we uh, I mean, fine. I don't, I don't, I didn't get a chance to check out any other positions, so I'm not sure how it compares. Um, very lucky in the sense to have an older brother, um, particularly an older sporty brother when I was interested in sports. So you're constantly trying to keep up with him um, and play along with him and his friends, which I think in that environment makes you a better, better, you know, yes. it, you, you're often at the bottom of the pack, so you have to try harder. So um, that was great. And, and then my younger sister as well, who I probably wasn't, we kind of, we've kind of gone through er, areas of being close and, and, and not so close throughout, throughout our whole lives. But yeah, we're back really, really close to three of us. One thing that I've noticed, which I think is absolutely so beautiful, that you have so many of the friends that you had when you were growing up at school 20 mm. years later, they're like the best friends that, yep. you know, a person could ever have. How did you kind of maintain those friendships? I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I don't know why this is, but it seems, and whether this is going to come across as really sexist, but it seems easier for males to do it than females, yeah. it seems, in life. Why um, do you think that is? I think a couple of things. I think, um, you know, mateship is different is than, than female mateship. I think it's evolving for females. And again, this is just my opinion, but when I talk to my female friends, it's harder to have a wider pack of 20 people. Yeah. Um, probably because you're smarter, the females, and they require... <laughs> <laughs> and so, so they don't require as many people to stimulate them. Um, I think, uh, look, sporting teams have, does that as well. Yes, um, that's true. And um, yeah, we we I've got mates through that I met in kindergarten still that we still are still really close with. See, kind of most weeks, and then there's a kind of eight from school that yeah I see most weeks, um, and. I think people also get lucky in their friendship groups. Yeah, some yes. people um, have a good bunch of people at school and, and others don't and others find that at university. Um, but, yeah, I was lucky that I found a great bunch of guys um, at school and um, that got along with everyone's families and et cetera. It was just easy. It was yeah. just easy, yeah. During your adolescence, you had to go through something that was obviously quite sad. Your mum became quite ill. Yeah which was obviously very traumatic for your family. And take us through that. How how did you cope with that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not something I talk about very often, but, yeah, mum got sick, but she's also still with us, so really, really lucky. But she got given two weeks to live in 96. Really? Um, and then again, they thought she was going to pass, I don't know, a couple of, weeks, a couple of years later. It all becomes a bit blurry, but um, we, we kind of stopped to believing doctors' opinions for yeah. a while there. I still love doctors. I love our medical industry. I think our the hospital and healthcare system in Australia has just incredible. Mm. Um, and and also the the other organisations around to support. So um, it's not a knock on that. It was more just you didn't have to take what anyone was saying no on way. face value because it was all really new. Um, from what I can gather, mum was the first to survive this disease. It's, uh, it was called cerebral vasculitis, so cerebral being the brain and vasculitis in the and then in your vein system, um, where essentially it's like having strokes, but strokes happen in the artery, normally stop your whole body. This was strokes in the veins, so little clots, and uh, yeah, it shut off a lot of her brain, so um, or part of her brain. So she figured out how to walk, talk, who we all were, um, and that was probably for about... Uh, I can't really recall, but I think she was in hospital for about six months um, 
where she was just out of it. So, and how old were you at the time? I was fifteen. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was. It's a strange thing to have to go in each day and introduce yourself to your mum and say, "I'm Andy. I play yeah. the trumpet. I like playing hockey," and have those that yeah. kind of Groundhog Day conversation. Um, but as far as coping. I used to laugh a lot, which I know is weird, and I'd make no, jokes about it. because it's a beautiful coping mechanism. Uh, yeah. My coping mechanism is generally making jokes about a situation, even if it's dark humour. Yeah. But um, uh, I don't know. We, I think that's probably why my family is super close now. Mm. Um, you know, if there's ever silver, any silver lining for mum being sick, it's the fact that you really treasure not just her but the overall family dynamic and the relationships. So, um, yeah, we spend a lot, a lot of time together, um, uh, all five of us, and and now they're growing families around that. And uh, But at the time, it was kind of muscle on. I, I've always, I think that, and I look back, I was and used to pride myself more on being tough in these situations, but it's not really a great thing to pride yourself on. No. Um, you but know, I suppose when you're young... That's all you want to do, you, and especially, I suppose, as a male, you just want to be the tough one probably yeah. for your sister as well and, and yep. for your mum. Yeah, exactly. So, But I think that that's, um, I think as we certainly grow older and, and even more in today's day and age, you realise that's not particularly manly. Not at all. Um, but certainly liked being a rock or being someone to, who could cope. And I was probably compartmentalising a lot of things or not addressing them, which, again, potentially isn't that healthy. But, yeah, I mean, for, for me, it was, uh, I think it was the time where I drifted from my sister and if I had any regrets, it would have been um, the fact that I probably, she was becoming a woman, 13 yes. years of age. Sometimes you need a, a female around at that point. And, and I was... For sure scheduling and logistics everyone's life to make sure that everything was happening with mum not being around, yeah. which is not probably as understanding as a, a no. <laughs> it could have been. But you're so organised, I know I, that. I like so that's probably you. your like coping mechanism yeah. was to be that Or just stepping in and going, okay, well, I feel like someone might need to do this yes. now, um, which there was no doubt a help at the time and yeah. we all talked about it, um, but probably shuts off an emotional support mechanism and so but my brother was he's brilliant in those areas so that's why yeah. him and uh, my sister became a bit closer oh that's brilliant and your how's your mum now yeah good still still hanging around <laughs> <laughs> isn't that uh, incredible yeah i mean it is and that's and then look they they just keep monitoring there's more people and if anyone has um cerebral vasculitis listening to this the, the very few times i've talked about it over the last 20 years um there has been a handful of people who have reached out and, and scared um, and have survived and um, my mum's so happy to chat to anyone about it. Um, yeah, she's a beautiful woman. Because um, it's, really, it's, it's really shocking and hard to cope with that you have to re- restart all these things. But if mum's anything to go by, she can walk again, she can talk, she snapped out of it, she remembers. She doesn't remember a lot of that year. Yeah. Um, the brain's strange in that way. Um, but she she's also got an amazing memory for things before that. Wow. Like encyclopedic, it's bizarre. She kind of knows. <laughs> well, say, oh, I remember when we would do it here and she'll go, yeah. no, no, we're actually there and you're Isn't wearing this. Isn't that incredible? This. Yeah. Um, and, it, and they've only just had tests recently where um, it showed that mum's, the, the, the black spot in her brain that had kind of had, had lost all that connective tissue, the, the, there's new um, 
I don't know the official term for it, but it's it's relating and it's redirected things around it. So it's not essentially necessarily healing that part, yes. but it's been managed to reroute certain signals. And so the brain is is still kind of trying to work out how to deal with it for this many years later. So she's she's still her brain's still working on it. Well, I would have given up a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> We've had her on the show a few times, yep. and she's amazing. She's so funny as well. She is. She's she's, she's during that time we kind of felt like, and particularly the drugs you were taking. Um, it was kind of like truth serum. So uh, <laughs> you found out what she thought of you, <laughs> um, which was quite amusing because she's uh, she's a very polite person and, and would never want to step on anyone's toes. So I thought this was a, a great new uh, a great new side of mum. Yeah, she's great. Then after school, you went on to go to university mm-hmm. where you met the fabulous Hamish Blake, mm-hmm. and that was the beginning of huge things to come. How did you guys meet? Um, it was, it's strange, but uh, I was in a um, management uh, tute. Management uh, yes. tute? What were you studying? I was studying commerce, um, commerce arts at Melbourne, and I hadn't been for the entire year and I knew, actually it was quantitative methods this one, but I'd met this guy called Pete in a management tute. It was quantitative methods. I hadn't been the entire year. I knew I was going to fail. You got one percentage point per attendance day and there was 10 tutes. <laughs> and I was, and so I, I went there and the tutor said, oh, Andy, Andrew Lee's not here again. And I said, no, I am here. Um, and he said, well, you haven't been here the entire year. And I said, <laughs> can I make... Can I make a speech to the class as to why that was important that yes. I wasn't here? And the tutor was kind of funny guy. He said, "Yeah, sure." So I got up in front of the class yeah. and I said, "I would have distracted you all. I'm terrible in these type of situations. For the good of everyone in this class, in the hope that they win, that they pass, I decided not to come. Hilarious. And I think I deserve ten <laughs> marks out of ten for attendance just because of this selfish na- selflessness that I've shown. And the guy gave me ten. Did he? And I passed fifty-one percent. So I would have got forty-one. <laughs> That's or amazing. And I was walking out of that shoot, and this guy Peter said, "Hey." you're a bit like my friend Hamish. You should meet him. And I said, oh, okay, yeah, cool. Um, where is he? He's like, oh, he doesn't live here. He lives in Sydney. I was like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard, <laughs> but thank you very much for your time. And then, um, yeah, the next March, Hamish moved back from Sydney to uni and this guy Pete came up to me and said, hey, this is the guy I was telling you about. Oh, my and God. I said, glad, glad you did. And what had you imagined yourself to have done, like, career-wise, once studying commerce? Like, um, where were you going to go? I wanted to be an accountant originally. Um, oh Lord! Didn't you go on a different path? <laughs> so I I did university accounting when I was still at school. So yeah. Um, yeah, I was I was I quite liked it, quite good at it. Um, and then I worked at the Good Guys. Do you know the yeah, electrical yeah, yeah. company? I know the Good Guys. <laughs> yeah. I worked at them over summer. Yeah. In between Year Twelve and university, and I cancelled eighty million dollars worth of checks instead of presenting them. <gasps> and, <laughs> And it wasn't, it was kind of, it was my fault, obviously, I was pressing cancel, but the lady <laughs> who taught me how to do it had taught me incorrectly. So Aww. it wasn't great for her, <laughs> wasn't great for me. Um, and back then it wasn't daily backup. They would back yes. up the system once a week. So everyone's work in the <gasps> entire office had to be reset to Sunday and they only found out on Wednesday evening. So it was oh, three no. days work for everybody that they had to do again. <laughs> wow. Um, and I went in on the Thursday and I could see everybody not really that thrilled with the work experience guy that had, uh, that had caused them to have to stay back, you know, till nine yes. o'clock both nights. Um, and so I rang the university, changed all my subjects. I quit and then really? changed all my subjects there to, to marketing. 
So and I probably would have gone down that path. Marketing, advertising, potentially. I didn't really know. I didn't really care. Just was happy just to float through. And was there any ever any idea about comedy or like TV or yeah, acting yeah. or anything like that? I was always like mucking about with that stuff, um, filming stuff with my mates. and But it was only really when I met and talking about it, but it was only really when I met Hamish and we were making each other laugh so much that I was like, oh, this feels special. We should do something about it. Yes. So... Um, he was doing much harder subjects than me um, and he had to go to uni more. So every time I was convincing him to skip and we were writing little bits and pieces, um, I think it was doing more damage to his career than it was <laughs> going to be to my university career. So I'm glad it came off. <laughs> and with any duos, you know, especially at the start, you're both obviously finding your feet. You both have your different voices. Mm. How did you guys get such beautiful synergy between the two of you? Because obviously, you know, it, it, it's a new thing for the both of you. Mm. How, how did you know when one needs to take a certain role and the other one needs to kind of sit back a bit, which you do have now between yeah. the both of you? I think it evolves. I mean, I, don't, I think through sheer luck, we, we were mates first yeah. and we were mucking around as mates and we were just doing that and it was working. So we didn't have to be too reflective and and, and work out roles, et cetera. Um, I'm sure that individually you're kind of trying to work out what you want to do. Yeah. But, um, and then, but I think both of us came to a place where it's like, oh, I think I know how to make the, the two of us shine better. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was, it's interesting in that regard. You kind of sit there and just... When more and more, I suppose that there's different levels of pressure, people say. And when the show was, the show got big really quickly on when it moved to drive time. Yes. And that was the first time, in the, the second year of that was the first time I think we probably felt pressure because there was a lot of money getting made from the show and that was the and the reason for the money was ideas they people yeah. were seeming to like the ideas and we never really think that far in advance with ideas so the stations going to us hey what are you doing this year we're really looking forward to it and we want to sell around yeah. it and we're like oh we don't know we'll we'll see and they're like what do you mean you don't know and we say oh we'll see what comes up because we love just being in the moment yes um and they didn't really like that um, which I can understand yeah. because uh, they need to be able to yeah. commercialise it. And then that was the first time they were pressuring us to have ideas and it was the first time I were getting asked for ideas rather than just letting them come. And I think, you know, from my recollection of it anyway, Hamish and I kind of banding together in that part to go, all right, this feels a bit weird. How are you feeling? Let's check in with each other. Yeah. And, but let's stick by our guns here because we know we'll put together something out something bad or something we don't like. I mean, whether our ideas are good or bad, people can judge. Yeah, of but course. we always like them. <laughs> so uh, the ones we do anyway. So the worst is doing something you don't like, having to perform something you don't like. Yeah. And again, when you talk about learning from the mistakes or how you felt when things yeah. weren't going well, it's good to remind ourselves like, okay, that didn't feel great doing that. So let's never do that again. Um, or let's ex explore why. Uh, we're going to probably be more passionate about the ideas that we like yeah. and then we'll probably perform them better. So let's try and like everything we're doing. Um, so yeah, it was it was good a good chance to, again for us to cement our space together Again, because we were mates beforehand, it was always us against the world. Yeah. There was never, ever going to be... I think with other duos that get put together, you might be sitting there going, all right, well, 
I'll make sure mine stuff's good or I might be get the next opportunity after yeah. this if I perform well here. Yes, um, there's always that there, kind of competitiveness. There could be, yeah. Um, yeah. And so we were lucky not to have that. What's the biggest disagreement you and Hamish have had? Look, not, not big ones. Um and not not in recent times, no 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 yeah. big ones at all because it, we realised how lucky we were. So um, I think maybe like I would say years, years decades ago when we were trying to work out the direction of what we mm. might do, and you get offered shows, yes, and you're like, oh, should we or shouldn't we take this? There may there may have been times where one of us wanted to do something that the other might not want to do, and we always came to the spot where unless both of us want to do it, there's no point anyway. Yeah. We have the same philosophy with ideas. Like I might think something's hilarious and the best. And if I'm sitting there trying to convince Hamish it is and I could see him not quite getting it, he'll always try really hard yeah. to get it. I'll go, oh, well, I'll just let this go because we'll have other ones. Yes. Um, and that's that's been our mindset from the get-go. And so, yeah, with disagreements now, I mean, they don't really exist because we're so lucky that mm. you go, why the hell would we bother to arguing over anything? Yeah. Well, I can and, vouch for working with you for two years and yeah. never seeing you have a disagreement. No, I mean... Or never even coming close, to be honest with you. No, because if, like, if one of us doesn't want to do something, you just go, all right, well, there's other ways. Yeah. Um, and I'm never super passionate about doing. I just I'm passionate about having fun with my mate, and I think Hames the same. Yes. So if that's the goal, there's no real disagreements that can pop up because none of that's going to be fun. If if I argue my way into doing something, yes. it's like, well, we're not going to have fun doing this anyway. Has there any ever been like a competitiveness between the two of you for anything, or you know, Hame going now to go and do Lego, which is obviously something separate that mm. he's doing himself, and you've done your own things. Has that ever arisen even in the early days? Um, I reckon in the early days it would be more, again, while, while you're working at your own space in the mm. world and also in the industry, I think that there would be, you know, I'd be lying to say that that doesn't creep in, but not not now. I mean, Lego, for instance, you know, Haim talked talk to me more about that than anyone Lego. And, yes. I, and I do the same with him. If, if I'm thinking of doing something, your gen, for instance, yeah. coming up, I want to get his take. He knows me well. He knows my strengths mm. well. Um, so, and and we both know the industry really well. So, um, why would I not use that resource? Yes. Um, and like I said, we, we're only ever wanting everyone to, if, if we're happy, we're, our shows are going to be out, the joint shows are going to yeah. be better. So, if someone, one of us wants to do something else, and it doesn't even have to be just on screen, even outside of it. If I want to go play golf every Friday, so yes. we never record Fridays ever, Hayne will go, yeah, sure, whatever it is, because we know what well, that'll make us happy yes. and we can, we can be succeed here. So we feel that with each other's projects at the moment and go, I mean, I was just thrilled for him, thrilled that it went well. Um, I mean... He 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 would admit it as well. It's like, well, will a show about Lego work? <laughs> You're like, well, I was saying that well, they're really lucky to have you because I think it's you know you'll be able to bring another quirk to a reality type show, which he has, which yeah. makes it different in its own. And then you know, and they put together an amazing show as well. So, um, yeah, it's 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 just good. It's just good for both of us. Mm. And if if the show didn't go well, that's fine as well because it doesn't tarnish anything Hamish no. and I do together. And I think maybe in the past we would have worried more about that to go, oh, well, if one of us went across and did something that was not great, how does that affect the, the, the duo? Yes. 
when it's fledgling, when it's on its way up. But now everybody knows exactly what Hamish and Andy is. Mm-hmm. So anything I do um, is not going to affect, if I do something that bombs, it's not going to affect the Hamish and Andy yes. brand at all because people can still tune in and, and, and get that, yeah. Obviously, you know, in when you're in the public eye, people comment about different bits and pieces. And one thing that has come up here and there, which I personally don't think is true, is that Hamish is the funny one of the duo, Mm. you know. How, especially in the early days, did that affect you? Um, I mean, not... It's... I think he's funny as well. I also think he's funnier (laughs) than me. So the, 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 the difference is saying... Is Hamish the funnier one? I, I would agree. Is he the only funny one? No. Mm. Um, so it doesn't really, it didn't really bother me. There'd be, there, there might be a day where you get a pang like, oh, I, you know, I would have loved to have I said a punchline there, but I just didn't. We don't, yes. we don't write, we don't have writers, we don't write anything. No. So it's not like I have to tell so many people that, that they're not sitting there with like words no. in front of them. It's completely so if, if, off if, the top of the head. if we had writers, mm. for instance, and someone was handing jokes to Hamish, handing jokes to me, that would feel really different for yes. that dynamic. But it's it's the, the, the team, the duo itself, is what makes and and the fact that nothing's written is what makes what it is and and I just want that to a laugh for the team whether it's a laugh for Hamish a laugh for the team laugh from me it's a laugh for the team so it's just it's all bundled into one for me yeah um, yeah it doesn't it doesn't worry me at all. What a lot of people I don't think realise is you're the real business brains and complete organisation behind the (laughs) Hamish and Andy duo. Like, I obviously am in touch with you many times during the week. There's not any... You do not miss a beat with anything, which is absolutely unbelievable. You're so meticulous with everything that happens. And, you know, the funny story that I laugh about with one of our audio producers is when we had obviously uh, something that we wanted to do for the podcast and we were back and forward with legal a bit and then we ended up having a meeting and watching the way that you conducted yourself with Hamish as well, where we had the, you know, the biggest legal team there and we walked out (laughs) and me and the audio producer said to each other, we're like, Hamish and Andy just outsmarted the lawyers. It's <laughs> no. unbelievable. They just ran rings around the lawyers. No, I don't think I don't think we outsmarted the lawyers. No, it's the way that you chat to people and talk to them and talk them through an idea that everything always works. Everything always works. And I said that to you a while ago. My mantra for working on the Hamish and Andy podcast is everything will always be fine Mm. with Hamish and Andy, as in like everything will always work out and everything we do always works out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I suppose the definition of workout is the thing to tap into here because if something goes hilariously wrong, that has also worked out for us as the show. So that's what's great about it yeah. is that um, we don't, Ham and I don't choose outcomes. You know this. Yes, no, I do. And it really shocks producers and also our television producers. <laughs> so we don't want to know the outcome of anything. We like to find the playground of which to play in. And that gets you in trouble. 
And then someone legally, someone might go, you've crossed the line here, 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 here. And we go, okay, well, what language do we need to use to get out of this bind? Um, and that's fun though. That's fun to talk about. It's yes. fun to talk about that we're in trouble for this and we apologise. Um, because all of it makes sense in the context of it's so real what we're doing. We're not falsifying anything. So you're able to talk about any outcome. So anything is going to work out. Yeah. That makes sense. It's like when there's no path, the end will be the end. So we don't, we don't sit there judging going, oh, we didn't we didn't end up here and we said we're going to because we never said we're going to end up in a specific spot. Yeah, that's true. And so that's why things would appear to work out. But it certainly didn't go, it certainly doesn't go the way I thought it might <laughs> <laughs> very often at all. Um, but yeah, I think the other thing is I think that um, when, you, when, it's, when it's good spirited, with mm. what, when what we're trying to do is good spirited the whole time um, and you find yourself in legal arguments, um, I'm confident that pressing the boundaries there will, will, will be fine because the law is meant to be set up to allow people to have fun and not yes. hurt anyone and if and not steal from anyone, all yeah. these things. And if we're not, you know, troubling anyone, making any money off anyone, breaching any of these copyrights, all these things... Um, and someone's telling us we shouldn't do this, I, I'm happy to challenge that. Yes. Because... And you challenge most things, which I think is unbelievable. And it, actually, I've learned so much through it. I'm like, you just, you don't just take anything off face value. You question to get mm. the best outcome. Yeah. Where did you start doing that? Like, oh, I think that's beginning. a beautiful way of being. <laughs> from the beginning. Like, I just, I, I didn't, I don't like, the, I don't like no's. I yeah. don't like anyone saying, no, we can't do that. Um, I don't mind, we can't do that version of that. Yes. You know, so like, okay, well, we'll think of a new version of that. Um, so when someone's giving me a no, I want to explore the exact reasons mm. why the no. And and if it turns out it's one or two things, all we have to do is address those points and then we're away again, where often people see a hard no and go, okay, they said no, so that's it. Um it's, you know, I, I've got a great example for you. It was in, we're in New York for Gap Year, first season yeah. of our travel show, and Chris Martin and Coldplay were on. We had a challenge for Chris Martin where they have these T-shirt cannons at the basketball matches. We hadn't seen them before. They're out here now, but I hadn't seen them before where they've had these high-powered cannons and they fire T-shirts up to the top rows oh, of wow. the stadiums, right? And so we went and bought one of the T-shirt cannons mm. and we were challenging Chris Martin to fire from outside across the street, fire one through the window of our studio. And if That's he got amazing. it through, we would wear the the, 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 the promo T-shirt yeah. for Coldplay. So Chris Martin said, I, his, his manager said, I don't want to, he doesn't want to do it. And we we're like, why? Why doesn't he yeah. just get to sit outside? And he's like, no, Chris doesn't want to do it. Okay, no problem. And then they come out and said, oh, look, one of the other band members will do it. And I was like, right. So I thought, I'll just ask Chris. <laughs> so Hamish and I were just like, well, let's today, Chris, we heard that you don't want to do the thing. That's totally fine. Just wondering why. Yeah, and, great. And he said, well, is it possible if one of the other band members do it? And I said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Obviously, Chris Martin and Coldplay, people know Chris Martin more than the other guys, but if it's in the interest of spreading it around and mm. heroing Johnny or something, of course, we, 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 we'd do that. And he said, oh, no, it's, it's just that I've got really sensitive ears. And when this gun goes off, it's going to make a bang and I'm worried for my ears and I've got to perform. <sighs> I'm like, oh, right. Well, 
do you mind if we put head earmuffs yeah, on yeah. you? Yeah, yeah. He's like, yeah, but I don't want to look like a doofus just wearing earmuffs. I was like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's perfectly enough. legitimate yeah. as well. And so, and so then we said, well, what if we put a producer next to you wearing earmuffs and someone else in the background who's also wearing earmuffs to make it look like he's really loud and, yeah. and we can pan around and show the cameraman also wearing earmuffs. Fabulous like, He said, that'd be great. That'd be great. That'd, be, that'd make, give me a little comfort. Now, that's a testament to Chris Martin because he could easily tell his minder, it's a flat no, yes. tell him to work it out. But he was comfortable having the conversation, which I shows comfort in his own skin mm. and also a willingness to make things work, which I just thought was just amazing and fabulous. And... But yeah, and we had that discussion and it turned out it was something I could never have predicted that it was because of his ears. Isn't that funny? Yeah, but it was a great bit. He's outside, manages to get through the window. We're wearing his promotional T-shirts for the rest of the show. They're getting much more, a much better promotion for it and then they perform brilliantly at the end and you go, okay, well, everyone won because A, he was willing to answer the questions, but we were also willing to just inquire as to what is exactly the reason why he, shouldn't, he doesn't want to do this. Yeah. And often if it was something, you know, really clear, we go, oh, we won't press it. But if there's a solution. Yeah, you know, why wouldn't you go down that yeah. way? And you and Hamish obviously did drive for a long time and you became the most successful drive show in Australian history to to date. When was the moment that you were like, I, I'm, I think I'm a celebrity now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've always wondered when people yeah. kind of think that. Like, yep, it's now. It, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, in a way, we still don't, like, yeah. at times. Like, because of the style of radio and podcast we're doing, um, we, we share so much of our lives and we expect so much of our listeners to share mm. as well. So you don't... So our interactions with people in the street are often about them and or they're listening to something or they wrote in about this or they're on the show for this. And so it doesn't... It feels more like mates yeah. catching up. You don't get that... It's a different feeling for TV. We noticed when we first had, were on TV, people would come up and they treat you a bit differently. Like, really? Yeah. Like how? They're just more keen to have a photo and all that kind of thing. Yes. That, that was... That was a really different thing for us. Like uh, they kind of hold you yeah. like above them to an extent. Yeah, yeah, where radio didn't have that effect really. Yeah, that's um, interesting. We really felt it when we got back from the US um, after doing the first season of Gap Year. We'd had other yeah. shows that were one-offs, but to do our first full season of TV, to live overseas and have not really anyone yeah. coming up to you and then come back and we're like, oh, wow, people watch this, you know, oh, yeah, and and that that was probably the first time that I felt, oh wow, this is this is this feels different. Yeah, and Haim and I kind of had a chat about it because yeah, I'm feeling the same. It's it's uh, so you know we had that control where we were um, uh, as far as the scientific control, we're over in the US and no one was coming up to us, and then come back here and it felt really different at the time. And so, how did you kind of cope with that, or did you do anything differently? Yeah. Like, do you? walk down the street always yeah. wearing sunglasses. Nah. Like, you know, because I know a lot of people who are in the public oh, light do do stuff like that. I know. It's, I just, I, I, I don't, I just think that's, some people don't like being bothered. Yeah. I don't mind it at all when someone comes up. So that's the difference. Yes. Um, I don't think there is, personally, I don't think there's a person in Australian television radio, unless you're a Hollywood star, that needs yeah. to go and do that at all. Like now, 
other people might challenge that. Yeah. But I just don't think it's yes, the case. Like, I tend to I just agree. don't think that we're in awe of any of our Australian yeah. television stars, radio stars. They, we know what they are. We like them, but we're not awestruck by them. Um, the same way as you get awestruck by someone on the big screen. Mm. Um, so... That, that I reckon that becomes a choice for people. They choose to hide away and that's fine. Um, often I think when you choose to hide away, you get more people, you develop more people's interest in you and trying to snap you, et cetera, yes. paparazzi-wise. But, um, yeah, no, we, we just chat to everyone as if they're listeners or friends or whatever it is. And obviously being in the public eye and the spotlight, that means that you know, the relationships that you have are going to be in the spotlight as Mm. well. How have you, you know, you're a pretty down-to-earth person. How have you dealt with that? And especially having breakups in the public arena. Yeah, I mean, breakups are really terrible um, for anyone. So I don't think it's, you know, I don't think it's necessarily more hard for, for, for me because they're writing about it. I mean, it puts pressure on new relationships, um, in the past, I've tried to keep them my new relationship secret for as long as possible, and there's a point where it gets out. You never want that pressure in the very beginning of any relationship. Um, you're kind of just sorting out whether you like each other or not, and then it's in Woman's Day. That's yeah. um, that can be a bit more feel a bit more pressure on the situation. But how do you deal with when they do write things that are completely not true? Oh, uh, it's. It's fine for me. It's and but if people re- read these things and think they're true, mm. family members think they're true, um, partners think they're true, and so that's that's difficult. That I don't mind reading something that's fake. So I'm like, who cares? I, I'm, I can't control it, yeah. so I'm not going to worry about it. When it affects my um, family members or my my partner, I get a little bit more disappointed with it. But again, I can't fix it. It's about re- it's about working harder on that relationship with your family member or your partner mm. um, to make sure that they don't buy into that. But with the human brain is kind of strange that way. We see something written down, it's going to sit in your subconscious. You question no, well, that's it. it. And, um, and that's a shame. So we, you've got to work really much harder to strengthen the relationship. How being in the public eye, have you been able to keep your confidence and not care what people write about you and and not kind of listen to what people say when they do say negative things or write negative things? Um, I don't... Great question. I think I'm lucky because I'm with Haim. So, like, we yeah. don't... I kind of do the show for him and vice versa. So, I, I really... It, when the weight of expectations of whether he liked it, he liked my performance, we enjoyed mm. ourselves, like that's the measure. I go, well, cool, that that actually is the legitimate measure. It's not, I'm not trying to progress our careers to be the biggest or best or anything. If we were going in that path, you'd worry about more of those things. Um, so, yeah, I got, we got into it as mates. It's a different, there's a different reason why we're performing. Mm. Um, and not to say like, I certainly don't think that if people have aspirations to be the biggest, the best and stuff, I, I'm, yeah. I'm in awe of those people as well. I, I don't think that's shallow. I think anyone's allowed to have their own ambitions and and um, I'm an ambitious person, but the reasons for it change for, and mm. it changes over time as well. Um, they can, and can be different. But um, yeah, when it's not the measure, it's like, I don't need anyone to love this other than Hamish myself and Tim and Ryan who I work with Yes, for me to be satisfied with it. And at the end of it, I go, oh, that was really good. 
or I'm really happy with how it is. I'm happy for it to go out there and to see how it goes. Um, yeah, you can be disappointed if it doesn't go well, but yeah. um, you, you're never disappointed with... I don't want to be in a situation where I'm embarrassed to show someone something. No. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think I've put too much... We have maybe back in the day a few things, but there's not too much in recent times where I go, don't bother watching that. Yeah, that's an amazing thing to be able to say. Mm. You run, you and Hamish run a beautiful team, you're... You, you know, you're authentic, you're genuine, you are kind, and you're very polite. And I, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's truly, truly like, you know, to work with a duo and especially, you know, yourself, to have that, to have someone who has those qualities is a really, truly special thing. And I feel it's because, you know, you and Hamish as the leaders, that trickles down and makes for a beautiful team. You know, we all get along so well. Mm. Everything just works so coherently. It's it's a great place to be. And a lot of people, you know, don't, they're like, really? They're, you know, they think that people who are really famous aren't that nice, mm. but you, you are truly a beautiful human. Where do you think you got all of those qualities from and how have you maintained that for fame not to have gone to your head? Um, I mean, you're saying it's a special thing and I, I just wonder why it has to be. Mm, like that's that, a completely that's, it's good just, point. Particularly in this industry and um, in TV and stuff, there's... A lot of people that, that yell and scream and and, uh, mm. and and feel they've got a right to uh, treat people differently because of where they're at or their, their names on the poster or whatever. And um, we've just never subscribed to that. There are certain times where, sure, there's... I mean, I think that's, that's historical. Um, and a power imbalance is historical across all workplaces. Yes. It's all hierarchical. And it's up to the person um, at the top of that perceived hierarchy to set the tone. Um, a lot of them um, may have been treated poorly on the way up and they get taught that that's the way to behave when you're uh, at the head of a company or doing these things. Um, and I think uh, that can be tricky. But I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm shocked with the way some people choose to behave because they can get away with it. Yeah. Um, someone said that it's uh, that celebrity doesn't change you. It just makes you ten times the person. All that that attribute just yeah. amplifies everything by ten times. So I think if you're kind, you're ten times kinder because it's all out there. You have to go the extra effort. Yes. And there's plenty of people that are in that boat. I, I, I'm I. I think for him and for me, it's the same with our families, really loving parents, great people around. Um, but just speaking to mine, you know, mum and dad, these are things you were taught. And um, for our particular show, the environment, because nothing's written <laughs> yeah. down and it's all ad lib, the environment is hugely important to us. So people might go, oh, well, that's really nice of them. It's like it's also self-serving because we need this environment to be heaps of fun because we know we'll perform better yes. in those situations. So why not 
make sure everyone's having mm. fun the whole way through because then more ideas are coming in. People are happy to throw up more ideas. Um, people go the extra mile where something silly is going on. Yes. So it is self-serving, but it's not the reason we do it. You treat everyone equally, which I think is absolutely amazing. You know, from the general manager of Osterio to the cleaner to a junior producer on the team, everyone is completely equal to you. Mm. Have you always done that in life? Yeah, I've... I don't like high rise. Yeah. <laughs> You've probably seen that before. Yes. And it's not like I'm like against the man, yeah. let's bring him down. Um, it's more just, uh, again, there's people in really powerful positions that I've met along the way that um, ha- share sim- the same values mm. and I'm respect them so much and the way they lead and you take a lot from that. But anyone that's going to use their power and, and their position of power um, as an extra means to get what they want. Uh, I've, I have a visceral reaction mm. to that. So I'm very comfortable treating them um, just the same as anyone else and making them very aware that I don't care for <laughs> whether that's a good thing or a bad thing for the few by future career prospects. But um, I, Hayman, I also just want to work with good people. Yeah. So there's times where, yeah, I've been challenged by people that may have been wanting to impress or um, may have been a great commercial opportunity if they um, are dicks, it's like, oh, well, this isn't for us yes. because it's not going to be long-lasting. We can't, we can't have that. And giving back is a big thing for you as well that I've seen, you know, you do a lot, you're involved in a lot of charity work and, you know, you mentor a lot of people. And even when I started doing this podcast, I remember telling you about it and then you went and listened to a couple of episodes and I was like on the phone to you for like 45 minutes mm. and you were giving me your feedback, which was like, I felt so honoured that you had done that and what a beautiful thing to do. How do you, what kind of drives you to do that kind of stuff? You don't need to do it. Um, I've just got time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have kids. <laughs> um, I would say uh, when we started out, um, if people really want to work and really want to improve, mm. um, like we did, I was just so grateful for anyone who would lend an ear and lend their advice. Yes. So um, I won't do it unsolicited, <laughs> but if someone needs that, um, and they're going to act, act upon it, I'm more than happy to have a listen and give my feedback. And, and I always temper it like I did with you. It's just like this is just one person's opinion. Yeah. Um, and there's times where there's, there's certain things that have come to me and kids have said, hey, can you look at this? And I don't get it. And I never go, I don't think it's funny. Yeah. I just go, well, to my taste, this is stuff, but you might want to think about these yes. bits and pieces. Or I reckon one of my other mates who is in the industry who's doing really well, this would appeal to him. He'd be better to give you advice mm. because I, I don't have advice on all, on, all, on all certain situations. What I want everyone to know is that, as I was mentioning about the authenticity before, is the podcast you guys do because you truly are doing it to give back and because it is such a beautiful thing, you know. Yeah, it's amazing that it happens to be doing so unbelievably well, but it is about giving back to the community. And the other day you actually put on our WhatsApp chat that we all have, there was a message from a girl who, you know, had her own struggles and is obviously um, 
you know, had different things that she was going through in life and she had written how much the Hamish and Andy podcast has helped her and her journey to recovery and without that she doesn't know what she would do and thank you so much. And you said, you know, you wrote, I'm so proud of our podcast, this is to the whole team, just saw this post and felt the need to pass it on to the amazing team. This is why we all do this. It's such a beautiful thing yeah. because a lot of people wouldn't even care about that. It's just the numbers for them. How many downloads do we get per week? But really, like, mm. you really do care about what an effect in such a beautiful way you are having on other people. Yeah, yep. I think um, Haim and I love that. We do the show not for that. I'll make that clear as well. We do the show because we bloody love doing yes. it and there's also commercial benefits, all that kind of stuff. But what I, I absolutely love that we help people in that way, if we can. Mm. Um, the, and it's my favourite emails to read and, 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 and sometimes people post things. The, the difference is that we get all the accolades. Hamish and I keep having our names on the poster. We get all the accolades and it's, it's just not... It's not two people, it's so many more, as you're aware, in the work that mm. you do and, and all the people behind the scenes on television. And so I get to read those because people post them to me and I feel great about it. Yeah. And I go, oh, this is probably a bit unfair that I get <laughs> to get all this because yes. this that that story from her or any others should be shared with a team. Mm. Um, Jezza, our web geezer, He's such a lovely soul, as you know. Yes, he is um, beautiful. And and he, a few years back, and I don't think he'd mind me saying this. He wanted to leave. He was like, "I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I love what I do here, but I, I'm, I'm unsure whether it's it has purpose and the greater good in the world." And he had, a, he's got a huge social conscience, mm. and um, he's brilliant at what he does, and he wanted to maybe put his efforts into something that was helping the world more, and. And I said, I totally respect that. And I think, and whatever you need, we will we'll support. But I'll just so you know, I, I think we are. I think, I think this does. Mm. And it may not be as clear as saying, I'm now going to just do content for um, yes. reading the uh, seas of plastic or the oceans of plastic. But I think it does. And I think it, it, it's got the ability to hit more people than those bespoke um, kind of charitable or. Um, you know, kind of uh, human rights type thing. So I, I just said in the weeks after I was, we came and I read all our emails, or we tried to, as yes. you know, and, and there's a lot coming in, so sometimes <laughs> we can't get to them. But I just flicked him a, a couple of, of emails and one was someone with cancer, one was someone who lost their mum and, mm. and another person that was going through a really dark time on their own and and how important the weekly show was to them to be able to have a laugh or to help them through this moment. Yeah, I read hundreds of those yes. emails. Um, and so I just sent them to Jeremy to go, hey, again, we totally support your decision and this is not me trying to manipulate you to stay even though I, cause yeah. I, yeah, cause I definitely yeah. want you to stay, like yeah. but you know that's clear. Um, but if, if, if your search is for something more, I, I think it could be here and we can look other ways to, and you not st- not stopping you doing other stuff yes. <clears throat> outside. We're not exclusive to us, but you know, you may, you may get that here. And um, yeah. And he was like, yeah, I think you're right. Like, and that was nice. Oh, that's um, beautiful. So I, 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 that's why I love sharing with them yes. uh, these type of things with the team that is because it deserves equal credit across everybody. If you could turn back time and go back to your 20-year-old self, what would you say to that 20-year-old? 
Um, get a hair, different haircut. Look, there's nothing. I think uh, there isn't really too much hindsight stuff that I reflect on. Yeah. Um, I, uh, because uh, again, because I had Haim there the entire time mm. to we question stuff together all the time, and so that's the benefit of a tight duo is that you're constantly getting checked. Yes. Um, when I got big boot, too big for my boots, Hayne would go to me, hey, mate, you want to pull it in? Or, and, and, and then I'll go, yeah, you, you're spot on, you know. So that's really lucky um, that you feel like you've got a mirror that's actually talking back yeah. at you for the entire trip. So there, there are certain moments that, um, that, you, that I know that I can rely on Hamish for that and I'm so grateful for that over the run. But as far as, I mean, it would be, it would probably just be just just keep doing what you're doing. It's it's uh, yeah. I, I've all like when you said that everything works out. I honestly believe everything works out. It does anyway in life? Yeah, everything will work out if you stay positive and um, you don't have to just keep grinding at something mm. you don't like. But stepping back and going, all right, what elements of this am I truly not happy with? Um, I'm going to change that. And people feel they need drastic changes, yes. wholesale changes, um, where it can be really tiny things that can change your framework. Going to bed a bit earlier might be enough for mm. you to change the whole way you're feeling about something. The, the Where you're sitting in an office might change the entire, the, the entire experience there. Yeah. I don't like being around this person. Or all these things, you can make tiny changes, um, but I think just keep doing what you're doing. What are you most grateful for? Family. Yeah, um, I think that would be the main one. And then I'm super grateful that uh, Pete was in the quantitative methods <laughs> tutorial. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> um, because, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hugely grateful for Haim um, and not in a soppy way only because it's led us to be able to have the best fun mm. in what we do as a job. Um, which and you spend so many hours in your job, so to think that this is actually a job and it's been well nearly twenty years since we met. I think twentieth year this year since wow. I met. It's incredible. And it started pretty quickly. So um, yeah, certainly grateful for that. What is a life of greatness to you? Um, I think people doing what they want. Um, I am big on people doing exactly what they want and not being judged for it if it's not going to hurt anyone else. Andy Lee, thank you for being such a beautiful soul and bringing so many laughs to so many millions of people around the world. Thank you so much. Thanks, Eve. If you've enjoyed this episode, then I'd love you to join my community on Instagram at Sarah Grimberg, where we post videos and behind-the-scenes footage of each recording. You can also join my private Facebook group, Live Your Life Greatly, where we discuss the content in this episode and many more, as well as give advice and tips on how to live a life of love and meaning. To purchase my manifestation course and meditations, head to the shop tab at sarahgrimberg.com or this week's episode show notes to find a link. If you love what you heard, we'd love you to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and leave a five-star review. It will help us share this wisdom with others. 
listener.